Perfect Stranglers contains graphic and explicit content suitable for mature listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone and welcome to Perfect Stranglers. My name is Kylie. Hey, you know what? This is our spooky season episode. This is coming out on October 28th. Happy freaking Halloween, Stranglers. Nice. And I'm Brie, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is Brie. Sorry, guys, I am sucking on a cough drop. Not because I have a cough, but because sometimes I just really want to taste something sour. I just almost died. <laughs> I was choked on it almost. It's not sour. It's one of the um, Ricola ones, but it's like the cherry honey yeah. ones with like a little bit of lime, lime in it. Lemon. Right. That's the herbal yeah. kind of ones. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I was, as I was sucking this, I was thinking, my daughter is obsessed with mint. I don't know if you guys know this or not. My daughter is obsessed with mint. I brought this up at the dentist appointment that we went to. And I was like, okay. They're like, are you using toothpaste? I was like, yeah. Not the kids stuff, though. If you guys have, like, a small mint one that you can send home instead of the kids stuff. And they're like, why? Why? Like, she doesn't like the mints. She doesn't like the, the bubble gum or the sweet flavored. She literally uses my toothpaste. And they're like, what? <laughs> and they're like, we have never heard a kid who likes mint toothpaste. And I was like, you know, you guys don't understand. We go into the car and she asks, because I have to have a mint every time I get in the car for some reason. I've never smoked, but for some reason, that's a habit of mine. She asks for a car mint. <laughs> she asks for gum. She loves mint. Like, she got gum for her birthday because she loves mint Aww. so much. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. And so then she tries to see my cough drops. I'm like, honey, they're not mint. Right. They are literal, like, gross cough drops. I'm going to take it out. So that I'm not, like, sucking on it while we're talking. Yeah, but happy Halloween, everyone. Brie, are you going to dress up? Um, I don't know. Maybe. If I do, it's just going to be like the generic cat. Just put wear black yeah. and put cat ears on. Yeah, because you don't do trick-or-treaters at your door. You don't like trick-or-treaters I at know, your door, right? because my dogs don't take too kindly. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that would stress them out. I think we... Yeah, I think we talked about this last year, but yeah, my grandma and grandpa, probably. they live, or they're dead now. Sorry, sorry, mom, I said that so casually, <laughs> but they have passed since, and, um, but they used to count the trick-or-treaters, so they lived on the north side of La Crosse, and I remember my grandma would get all decked out, dressed up, all the grandkids would get dressed up, my grandpa would sit in the sunroom and, or in his chair in the living room, and he would literally count how many trick-or-treaters come by, and he would tally them out, and it would all, how many people have come, grandpa, how many people have come, <laughs> like, and it would get up into the hundreds, like, wow. not, I don't think it ever peaked 200, but like, 110, 120, 130, like, there's a lot of kids. Wow, that is a lot of kids. Yeah. That I know, I know. And now people don't really trick or treat much anymore. They do more of the like a trunk or treat thing. Yeah. Just because I think people have wisened up to how unsafe it is to have your kids wandering around in costumes. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um, although trunk or treat sounds more menacing, like they're going to stuff you in a trunk or something. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I mean, 
It's getting away from the nostalgia of going to different houses and just yelling trick-or-treat, handing out candy. But at the same time, like, I I get that it's a very different world even from when we were kids. It's very different. Yeah. So I am going out on Halloween. I don't have Everly, but we all know Everly. (gasps) We have a few things to talk about. Venom. I saw Venom. I saw Venom, too. Do you, I, you're not into superheroes, are you? I mean, no, not really. Um, I okay, I just so, watched the the first movie yesterday because it was on TV. But okay, the first movie is good. The second movie is even better. There was a huge, huge end credit scene that happened, and spoiler alert! Right now, if you don't want to know what the end credit scene is, don't listen for the next twenty seconds. Okay. Stop listening. Okay, so the end credit scene was Venom. And I kind of already knew that this was going to happen, that the MCU, because Venom isn't in the MCU, but he is, like, grandfathered in because he's owned by Sony. Same with, like, Spider-Man. So they're not in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but Spider-Man is, like, kind of is. Um, And Venom is apparently going to be meeting up with spider-man like because they're like both symbiotes it's a whole thing anyway i lost my shit in the movie theaters there was this really hot guy sitting next to me and i could like smell him the whole time and he just smelled like a hot man (laughs) and when it happened we both went and we both flung our arms out and we accidentally hit hands and i'm like is this like a romantic moment oh it's like a cute. i know i was like oh come on kylie have some balls and ask him out but uh didn't happen (laughs) Um, but anyway, so yeah, Everly wants to be Spider-Man. She wants me to be Ghost Spider, which is like Gwen Stacy, the female Spider-Man. And then for going out with my friend Julia, she is being Lola Bunny. Okay. And I'm like, she's like, what, what are you doing? What are you going to be? Be a monster. And I'm like, this is typical Kylie. Cute little petite little Julia. Cute little Lola Bunny. Kylie, I'm monster. Five foot nine <laughs> giant. I'm not cute ever at Halloween because I'm a five foot nine giant who's not tiny in the body stature situation. I'm like, I gotta be something cute. So I think I'm gonna try and make a monster of, like, gothic cute with, like, fishnets and goth boots and, like, a choker, dark lip. There that you type go. Of thing. Yeah. But that's always what happens to me is I'm always, like, the big, like, I'm a monster. Yeah. Like, the, the, the ugly, uh, the ugly one or, like, the not cute one with whoever's, like, cute and petite. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Always happens to me. Yeah, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> never the bride. I was the bride once, and that didn't work out for me. So, <laughs> um, um, let's do house- housekeeping, and then let's get into this because this is going to be another action-packed episode of murder. Don't forget to like and rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get seen, and it helps us. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say it helps us find people, but no, it actually helps people find us. Um, also, don't forget to subscribe to us on whatever platform that you listen to us on so you'll never miss an episode. We also want to hear from you on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we want to hear your stories of true weird things that have happened to you. So email us at contact at perfectstranglers.com. And while you're at it, check out our website, perfectstranglers.com what are we talking about today um we are going to be talking about uh we kind of hinted to this in the israel key situation we're going to be talking about uh i always want to say chevy chase that is incorrect that is not who we are talking about we are talking about chevy 
uh, Kehoe. Okay. And we're going to be taking a... Not Chevy Tahoe. Not... <laughs> oh, not Chevy Tahoe! <laughs> Chevy Kehoe! <laughs> that was good! <laughs> I love... Oh, I'm going to pee. That was funny. Oh, my God. So, yeah. We're going to be taking a look into the world of ultra-conservative weapons hoarders, gun fanatics, and white power culture, because I just know that we all wanted to get pissed off today. Yeah. So, that's, um, again, I... I feel like we need to say this. We don't condone those ideologies here at uh, at Perfect Stranglers. However, it is part of crime. That is true. Yeah. So we're going to talk about what fucking shitheads these people yeah. are. Yeah. Also, I want to point out a trigger warning in this because we all know it's murder. It's always dark. But if there's something past darkness that I don't like to talk about, I'm going to give you a trigger warning. There is a child involved, and we try not to involve kids in these episodes as much as we can. So, regarding that certain aspect, I'm going to try and keep the details at a minimum when it comes to this child. Other than that, sparing no details. All right. So, this story takes place in the Ozark Mountains in the Illinois Bayou area of Arkansas, about 50 miles away from Tilly, Arkansas, a very small rural town that just bleeds red and gunpowder. Okay, sounds gross. Yeah, so I actually um, started researching this. I initially started researching sh- uh, Chevy Tahoe and <laughs> and researching Chevy Tahoe. I because um, originally because Israel Keys made me like look up Chevy Tahoe. We're gonna call him that for the whole episode, and I'm not sorry about it. Okay, <laughs> I can't I can't think of anything else. Okay, Chevy Tahoe because it works with a keyhole and a Tahoe. <laughs> And I started watching it and I was like, after I got done researching it, I was like, oh my God, there's a, there's a show on the ID channel called Swamp Murders that is just like backcountry murders, redneck as hell. And I'm obsessed with that and Fear Thy Neighbor are my shit, yeah. okay? And they had a whole episode on this. So um, every time I'm talking about stuff, I just think of the guy's voice narrating it because I got a lot of my information from that. Um, anyway. So, this town bleeds red and gunpowder. The population is about 100. It's considered unincorporated, and it's the type of place where everyone knows your fucking business. Okay? So, just picture it. Right? Um, On January, on a January afternoon in 1996 in Tilly, Arkansas, a woman by the name of Erlene Peterson stopped by the sheriff's department to report that her daughter, Nancy Mueller, 28 years old, her 8-year-old daughter, Sarah, or granddaughter, but Nancy's daughter, Sarah, and the woman's husband, Bill Mueller, 52, was missing. Now, Bill was not the dad of Sarah. I don't know where the dad of Sarah is, if he exists. I know nothing about him. So Bill would have been, like, the stepdad. Okay. So, because uh, that's what you did around there, is you didn't call the police. You just showed up at the fucking police station, apparently. Oh, okay. Now, Bill... Yeah. Now, Bill and Nancy were not just conservative, but they were the type of people that would, like, ride or die for Trump, think that the vaccine would impregnate you with a symbiote and you'll turn into a venom-type conservative, like, monster. Right. Um, and Tracking they were actually device. considered conservative 
yes they are considered considered conservative even for like ozark standards so like ultra right wing like far like so far off the planet right flat earthers you know like uh marjorie what's it marjorie taylor green is that her name the the nuts lady from uh she's a she's a politician and she's the one who wouldn't let the I was thinking of the one who wouldn't let people marry, gay marry, but not her. Um, I mean, probably. She, I mean, like, thinks that there's, like, two genders and and she doesn't like masks and this and that. And she's a nutbag, basically. So things that don't affect you that you think affect you just because you think religion is on your side, that type mm-hmm. of thing? Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're going to lose listeners for this, and I don't care. Um, <laughs> Nancy was <laughs> Nancy was a homemaker. She grew all of the food and made all the meals. Uh, she homeschooled Sarah. Uh, Bill, also known as Willie, was a master electrician for the local Walmart and was a self-professed gun-obsessed human being. He was a member of the Patriot Movement, which is a uh, diehard gun rights organization. He went to all of the gun shows all over the U.S. and was known to be armed literally at all times, never without a weapon on him. The guy probably fucked with a gun on him. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, that type of dude. Um... So Willie never, or sorry, Willie had a dark side, according to Erlene, Nancy's mom. Willie was called militant and obsessive by Erlene, and apparently Erlene was very concerned and feared for her daughter and her granddaughter's life. Nancy was about 20 years younger than Bill, um, Willie, Bill. Erlene called, okay, Erlene called Bill Willie, but I'm going to call him Bill because I can't say the word Willie without, okay. Um... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that face. Uh, Younger than Bill. And um, after two years of marriage, there was arguments that got physical. There was one specific argument where Nancy called Erlene saying that Bill got so mad he actually like shot the TV and blew it up. What the hell? Early one. I know. Like seriously. Who? I digress. Erlene (laughs) wanted to get him out of her life, but Bill and Nancy... uh, Bill convinced Nancy that she shouldn't leave, that she really couldn't leave. It was just very toxic. He could be mean. He would tell her that she's the worst, be physically and emotionally abusive, and then reel her back with the I love you, I'm sorry bullshit Mm -hmm. that fucking toxic men do. Yeah. Okay? And then there's an eight-year-old involved. And it's like, now she's seen that this is how a relationship is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Just so bad. So early decided that it was time to involve the cops. Um... Heading back to uh, Erlene went to the sheriff's department to report the daughter missing. Heading back to that situation, uh, Erlene decided that it was time to involve the cops when she didn't hear back from the family after about a week. So Erlene was told uh, that these the Mueller's, Nancy, Bill, and Sarah, because they took Sarah with, were working at a gun, gun show in Oklahoma, but being gone for a week with no contact wasn't normal for them. Well, the cops said, well, you know, we can't do anything about it because Bill and Nancy were adults. You guys knew that they were going. They took Sarah. Sarah is Nancy's kid. She wasn't kidnapped. You know what? Maybe they're just gone for longer than expected. Let her ride out. See what happens. So they just had to wait. Well, Earlene 
decided that this ain't right, so she drove to the family's isolated cabin in the woods and brought her son, David, Nancy's brother, to search the house because she just, like, had that mom gut feeling that something was not okay. Mm -hmm. The house was pristine. You know how, like, you clean a house before you go on vacation so when you come back you don't have to worry about it? Yeah. It was like that. So everything was pristine. Nothing seemed wrong, but early knew something was off. Um, nothing was out of place until they got into Bill and Nancy's bedroom where she found their bags half packed, stating it was as if in the middle of packing, excuse me, the family just vanished. So after discovering this, Erlene went to the sheriff's office to tell them, hey, you need to do something. I told you they were missing and now I found their house immaculate, but with bags still splayed out half packed. And the sheriff told them that they likely went off the grid, off paper, hiding with no contact. And given the type of person that Bill was and the ultra-conservative lifestyle that he lived, it was very believable for him to do that. But for Nancy to agree to have both her and Sarah live like that, Erlene thought it was very far-fetched. And if he went off paper, she was dead, basically. Mm -hmm. She was like, if Bill's doing that, he must have killed her. And then he just went off the grid. So, an investigator at the sheriff's department, um, his name was Aaron Duvall, uh, he heard about the disappearance and he was not surprised like in the least bit. He knew the type of person Bill was and said that this is not out of character for him and for his ideals and the lifestyle that he led. Bill was a county constable, an elected officer of the peace, and Duvall also said Bill did not believe in paper money. He wanted everything to be in silver gold, silver and gold. Like, anti-government does not believe in banks. They're homeschooling Sarah because they didn't believe in the public school system. The whole nine, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think we all know, like, we've all met those people or know of those type of people. Yeah. And as weeks went by, Erlene continued her search. Finally, there was a break in this case after the police got involved and they're like poking around seeing, okay, obviously something's wrong. Erlene was like, you know, the FBI getting in shit, trying to figure out what's going on. And finally, there was a break in a case. A landowner about 50 miles from Tilly, Arkansas, went out to check his property and there was a Jeep and a trailer just sitting there. And it was confirmed that the truck, the Jeep or whatever, and the trailer belonged to the Mueller's. The trailer that we're talking about is about the size of like a small U-Haul. And it housed all of the guns and ammunition. Half a million rounds of ammunition, to be exact, for the gun shows they were attending. And so it was a sizable amount, to say the very like fucking least. Uh When the trailer was opened, they fully expected to find the bodies of all three in the family there, or at least the two ladies, Sarah and Nancy. But nothing was in there. The trailer was completely ransacked through and every gun was gone along with all of the ammunition, but Nancy's purse was still in there along with her wallet and her ID. Hmm. So very weird. Then on June 28th of 96, a couple was catfishing in the Illinois Bayou, um, and the husband was anchoring the boat, and the wife cast her line out, and her line got stuck on something, and she just knew it wasn't a fish. So she pulled that line, and up came a shoe with a foot still in it and a partial leg. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. Yep. In In the bayou? Imagine the stank. I didn't know that June Illinois 28th. had a bayou. It's not. No, that's the thing, though. It's called the Illinois River. This is in Arkansas, but it's called the Illinois Bayou. Got it. Hmm. Yes. Yes. I bet it did stink. I, yeah. And 
I mean, I don't know a lot about bayous, but isn't there a lot of mud? Maybe there's some quicksand? The murk? The murk is real. Yeah. Like gators, snakes, s- just swampy. Yeah. The murk is just like top tier in this place. Mm-hmm. So, uh, partial leg coming up. The The shoe that they showed on TV was like a Converse shoe, which is probably inaccurate, but I thought it was funny. Uh, so they called the police. This couple called the police and the search began. The search took nearly two days Um, all needing to be done by hand as the water was so murky, the visibility with a flashlight and like a high-powered camera in front of you was only six inches. So what they do is they, to find, they like search with their hands, but they also take a really long chain and attach a hook to it, throw out the hook and pull and try and hook things in. Yeah. Is how they do it. So, and it's called dragging. So after dragging a large portion of the river, they found three bodies a young girl, an adult male, and an adult female. The adult female was missing a leg, which was found by the woman fishing. All three of these bodies had plastic wrapped around a head, tied by duct tape. They were all also weighed down by rocks and duct tape wrapped around them, and it was very obvious that these bodies were fixed to never be found. Mm. So the decay indicated that the bodies had been in the water for about five months. So remember, Erlene was looking for them in January, February, and now it's Ju- it's July. Oh, okay. So that's how long had passed between the cops trying to figure out what's going on, finding that vehicle, Erlene doing her like mama thing and like knowing what's mm-hmm. up. So it was five months. Because of this, it made IDing these people nearly impossible, but there was only one trio that had been missing in this area that had an older man, a woman, and then a young girl. So they knew exactly who it was. Um, This really shocked Erlene especially because, one, her daughter and her granddaughter were just found dead. Like, that is, I could not imagine. Yeah. I just, I could not. But she also really thought that Bill was the murderer. And so now she's like, wait a second. Bill's also a victim? And the police are like, wait a second. Bill's a victim? We need to reeval how we're doing this yeah. thing. So with no leads and seemingly nobody around with a motive, the police and detectives needed to reeval the case and who they were looking for as a suspect. The entire county was canvassed. Cops went door to door asking for any and all information about the suspicious activity. So they ended up coming across a man who said that he heard that the Mueller's came into a good chunk of money recently, about $50,000 in gold or silver, And since Bill didn't trust banks, this was likely stored in or around the house. Meanwhile, authorities are trying to get hits on the firearms that were stolen. However, nothing is showing up. They were likely being sold on the black market and like to find that would be nearly impossible at this point. So keep in mind, this was also the mid 90s. Not like much has changed. But at this time, gun shows were more of a venue for the radical right winged people in America as opposed to like... Now you see people from every walks of life going to a gun show. But back then, it was very much so like, get your Confederate flags and your overalls out, boys. We're going gun shopping. Yeah. So it was was different back then. Um, So while the search for... Um, while the search for new information and hunting for the firearms, looking into leads is going on, the Mueller's house is needed to be searched again. Um, but had it, it had also been over a half a year now at this point since 
they had gone missing, their house had to be ready for showing for new tenants because they don't, they must not have bought it. They must have been renting Mm it. Either that or it was like sold and then someone bought it to rent. Um, So when investigators went to check for prints, so many people had been in and out of that house that it was a lost cause. All that was left really, as far as like fingerprints and stuff, there had been so many people. Um, All that was left were a few boxes of the Mueller's belongings that the FBI was able to rummage through and check for clues. Luckily for the investigators, inside one of these boxes, they found a gun case for a revolver, which is a handgun. However, revolvers aren't required to be registered in Arkansas, and it wasn't on the list of um, Mueller's stolen weapons that was checked against the national database. So he may have been taken at the gun shows, but he didn't register it, so it wasn't even known to be like a gun that they were looking for. Mm-hmm. So the serial number was checked by an ATF um, agent against the National Crime and Information Center, and they actually received a hit. The gun that belonged in that case was sitting in an evidence room in Seattle, Washington, and a guy by the name of Travis Brake, a convicted felon, was arrested four months prior for carrying a weapon without a permit. Travis uh, said that he purchased the revolver at a gun show in Seattle, Washington. He had no idea who sold it to him. It was sold under the table, and the only description he could give the sell he could give of the seller to the agents was a hillbilly in overalls that obviously wasn't from here. <laughs> Talking about Seattle, yeah. So, though that wasn't much to go off of, they did come to the conclusion that, though Travis didn't have anything even to do with the Mueller's death, he may be able to ID the person who did. So, the investigators in the case had him look through photos that they found at Mueller's home. So, while uh, Travis was looking through these pictures, one man in particular caught his eye and he said, yeah, dude, that's the dude who sold uh, sold me the gun. And so now, armed with a person of interest, the investigators took that photo back to Arkansas, land of the hillbillies, and asked the landlord of the Mueller's former home if he recognized the person that Travis recognized. And the landlord was like, fuck yeah, I do. That's Kirby Kehoe. So we have our first Kehoe in the land of Kehoes. So Kirby and his wife, Gloria, used to live about 40 miles from the Mueller's property. He was an angry Vietnam vet with eight sons. He was down on his luck, had very little money, and word around town was that Kirby would do almost anything for money at this point. So the Mueller's knew the keyholes solely through gun shows. They would travel and set up booths together. They both had very similar ideologies, especially Bill. Nancy just kind of like went along with it. Like she was right wing, but she wasn't like, she was like, she was conservative, like you would have a conservative aunt, but she wasn't like this far gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So um, Bill and Kirby and the Kehoes had very similar ideologies surrounding government and with being ultra conservative. Nancy was friendly with Gloria, Kirby's wife, and would even, Nancy would even babysit, or sorry, Gloria would even babysit Sarah when the Mueller's were away on gun shows. So they're like family friends. Mm-hmm. Now, Bill um, was also an army vet, just like Kirby, 
He had worked in law enforcement and was hyper aware about his environment and people around him. He didn't let just anyone into his life, into his family life. So it was believed that the only way someone would get, could get in on the inside of the Mueller's to get close enough to even kill him would be, especially in such a personal way, was if there was a close friend or family member that would get close to them first. And Kehoe fit this bill. Kirby Kehoe mm-hmm. did. Now, there was also another reason Kirby Kehoe raised major red flags. Uh, he and his family were members of the Christian Identity Group, an extreme racist anti-government religious group, the same one Israel Keys and his family were a part of up in Washington, which is where our Israel Keys connection comes in. Uh, Nancy was absolutely terrified of that group, and she knew that Bill was involved with them. Excuse me. Kirby often went to gathering places like the Aryan Nations with people who have committed assaults and murders and who wanted to start up a militia. And there are two things that you need to start up something like that. That's money and guns. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were trying to get. So to me, it sounds like um, the Kehoes lived in Arkansas, but they also had some property up in Washington. And I don't know if they like lived in one place and then the other or if they traveled back and forth. But they did spend a good chunk of time up in the Pacific Northwest. So fast forward a few months to December of 96, it's 600 miles north at a rest stop in North Dakota. There is an illegally parked SUV with a white power bumper sticker on the back of it. <laughs> the officer, uh, yeah. Um, the officer at the stop pulls up, asks if there's any firearms, and the driver um, tells the officer, yes, there's a gun in the back. This guy that was pulled over um, in the SUV was a neo-Nazi by the name of Sean Haynes, and in his car was a semi-automatic rifle. The serial number was checked, and it was confirmed as one of Bill Mueller's stolen guns. Hmm. Sean was brought in, questioned about where he received the gun from, and he eventually said that he was traded the gun. He traded for the gun. The person he traded with? Chevy Kehoe. Kirby Kehoe's son, his oldest son. So 23-year-old Chevy Kehoe, a.k.a. Chevy Tahoe, (laughs) was the oldest son of Kirby, born in Orange Park, Florida, and was named after his father's favorite brand of car, the Chevrolet. Ugh. But he spelled it C-H-E-V-I-E instead of like C-H-E-V-Y. Oh, okay. So he just spelled it wrong. Yeah, basically. So, um... His father had served in the Navy. Kirby had served in the Navy during the Vietnam War. And when Kehoe was an infant, his father moved the family to Madison County, North Carolina. And then in 85, Kirby moved the family again, this time near Deep Lake in Stevens County, Washington, which is the Israel Keys area. Kehoe entered Collinsville Junior High School. Kirby Key or uh Chevy Tahoe did, entered Collinsville Junior High School as a ninth grader in 87, where he was an honor student. Uh, Future serial killer Israel Keys was a close family friend of his at that point. In 88, his parents pulled him and his younger brother Shane. Uh, Shane is spelled C-H-E-Y-N-E. Okay. I'm just throwing that out there. I did not know how to pronounce it for a long time. Uh, Shane out of public school, and from there they were homeschooled, and then presumably at some point moved to Arkansas. Wait, can you spell that again? C H E Y N E. Okay, I thought it was Cheyenne misspelled. 
or something. I thought so too. And I was like, Cheyenne. Okay. Are we calling him shy? Like, but no, it's Shane apparently. So when investigators got the info that another um, of Bill's stolen guns had a direct, another of Bill's stolen guns had a direct connection to the Kehoe's, they went looking for the family, but they, the Kehoe's had up and left their Arkansas home and they were again looking for another break to track down the family who left no paper trail because they don't believe in government and only have fucking cash, gold or silver or guns to trade Mm -hmm. or ammunition. So, now we're in February of 97, a year and a month after the murders took place, an Ohio Street Trooper pulls over a blue Suburban for having expired tags. When asked for the license and ID, the driver didn't have any form of identification on him, so the officer asked the driver to get out of the vehicle and to sit in the officer's vehicle. What followed is all caught caught on actual dash cam footage, you can watch it. Asked for a driver's license, the driver didn't have any form of identification on him, so the officer asked the driver to get out of the vehicle and sit uh, in the officer's vehicle. While the driver is asked to sit in the officer's vehicle, he begins, like, you can see him being held back, and then he breaks free and tries to get out and get back into the passenger seat. The driver does. Or back into the driver's seat. Meanwhile, the passenger gets out, assumes of, um the shooting position he's like squatted down arms out he looks like he's had former training and he starts firing away at the two officers so so then the officer fires back meanwhile you can see all of the traffic going back and forth on the road this is broad fucking daylight Mm -hmm. so the driver is like oh shit my passenger's firing let's get back into the the blue suburban so um the driver gets back into the suburban fucking books it the gunman runs away into the into the woods that are like just outside of um view of the dash cam footage the driver chevy kehoe and his 20 year old son or 20 year old brother shane Hmm. so the blue suburban was found a day later the contents were taken to an ohio crime lab for investigation and what was uncovered was some guns ammo fake fbi gear and a badge case now, if you remember, Bill Mueller was an elected town constable. The badge case that they found was the same one that Bill had used for the badge that he wore on his belt. So finally, they had hard evidence to connect Mueller to the Kehoe's. I didn't know what the fuck a town constable was. Do you know what that is? Uh, no. So, I googled it, and it said, the Google machine told me, Constables serve at the pleasure of the local towns and villages, usually in a civil aspect for the courts. Constables are considered peace officers, have arrest powers within their jurisdiction while on duty, and must complete peace officer training. Specifically in Arkansas, constables are peace officers with full police powers. So it's a police officer without law enforcement training, depending on the city or town or state that you're in. Okay, that doesn't sound smart. So they, like, serve subpoenas and stuff. It sounds like they just, like, run paperwork for police officers, but they can also do a civil arrest. Oh, okay. So, like, on Pineapple Express, when he serves divorce papers to people and he dresses up in disguises so that they'll actually take them? Yeah, it sounds like that. Okay. So, at this point, the FBI, ATF are involved, and there is a $60,000 reward out for the Kehoe brothers, Chevy Tahoe and (laughs) Cheyenne Tahoe, okay? (laughs) It is, be- <laughs> it is because of the, um, 
Uh, it is because of the national news and there was, or sorry, this was on national news and there was now a nationwide manhunt happening with sightings in North Carolina, Indiana, Wyoming, and every other place in between for these boys. In June of 97, a year after the bodies were found, four months after the shootout, a young man walked into a police station in Colville, Washington. He told officers his name was Shane Kehoe and he turned himself in because he was scared of his brother Chevy. Uh, he said his brother is out of control and he doesn't know exactly what he's capable of doing at this point, but he's fucking terrified. So he was afraid that Chevy would harm him and his wife and children, and he had a feeling um, that he and his family were the next on the docket to be killed by Chevy. Uh, Chevy had also begun having a very sexual interest in Shane's wife. The family, especially Chevy, who also had a wife and kid of, kid of his own, were known to be polygamous. However, um, Chevy was doing polygamy in the not okay way of non-consent and sleeping with your brother's wife. Oh, okay. Or trying mm -hmm. to. Yep. So Shane was questioned and ended up giving up Chevy's location and he and his, uh, Chevy, he said Chevy and his family were at Gun Ranch, Utah, living on a farmer's land, and they had no connection or relation to the farmer or whatever. The farmer was just be being a nice dude to a family, basically. Um, the farmer had no idea who Chevy was or how dangerous he was, but he did but he did what he was told by the FBI, and the FBI and this farmer came up with a plan. The farmer asked Chevy to take him into town to get some feed for the cattle, and as the farmer and Chevy pulled up to the store, authorities got a positive ID on Chevy, apprehended him, and put him under arrest for the murder of the Mueller family. Uh, the authorities knew Chevy couldn't have acted alone, but if not Shane, then who the fuck did it? So Chevy name-dropped another player in the game, Daniel Lee Lewis, also known as Daniel Day-Lewis, <laughs> as I like to call him, because this was... Or Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so Daniel was a neo-Nazi skinhead with well-below-average intelligence and very well acquainted with being in trouble with the law. He also had, like, this white eye, like a fake eye, like his eye was all white. Oh, okay. And, like, neck tattoos. But, like, not the hot ones, but, like, bad neck tattoos, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Chevy was the brains, Daniel was his lackey, and Chevy gives up Daniel's name but insists he is innocent in that when Chevy and Shane Kehoe's mother, in fear for her own life, contacted ATF agents with invaluable information that helped lead to the arrests. So, the mom, Gloria confessed that Chevy and Daniel went to the Mueller house uh, for the gold Bill inherited. Uh, Chevy and um, Daniel entered the home disguised as FBI agents, which explains the FBI clothing that they found in the blue SUV. Um, uh, according to court records, there they waited as the Mueller's weren't home at the time of the invasion. When the Mueller's finally returned home, Kehoe and Lee hit them with stun guns, um, cattle prods. They used cattle uh -huh. prods. Hit them with cattle prods to subdue them and then rob them, according to testimony from the trial. Before fleeing, the killers duct-taped plastic bags around the heads of all three to suffocate them, dumped their bodies in the Illinois bayou with 50-pound rocks attached. So this is what Gloria said. Uh, the cops and FBI were never able to recover any of the money, and it's likely Chevy and Daniel got away with it and likely spent it. So now we're going to get into the convictions and the spider web that this fucking turned into, because it is unreal. 
So right now we have we have Chevy and we have Daniel Lee Lewis, who are like our main players in this crime, mm-hmm. right? There are five total people who get convicted. So Gloria was also an important witness at the subsequent t- uh, trial. But what's interesting is this Cade case, like I said, had a spiderweb effect, um, all connected to the militia movement. Not all were directly responsible for the death of the Mueller murders, but committed their own crimes for the same cause. So here's how it's all connected. So I found the following on caselaw.com. This is the actual um, court documents, and it it's literally called the facts in the case surrounding the case and just like how deep it ran. So it says... Chevy Kehoe, his father, Kirby Kehoe, and his brother, Shane Kehoe, co-defendant Daniel Lee and Farron Lovelace were involved in a variety of criminal activities to promote and fund a white supremacist organization by Ke- founded by Kehoe known as the Aryan People's Republic and the Aryan People's Resistance. APR is what they call it. So APR... Um, the RICO, the Racketeering Influence and Corrupt Organization Act. So APR, the the Racketeering whatever enterprise was charged in the indictment, uh, emulates an anti-government uh, white supremacist organization called the Order, formed by the late Robert Matthews. Kehoe envisioned the APR would succeed where the order had failed. APR would establish an independent country in the Pacific Northwest composed of only white members of the Christian uh, identity faith. The population would be maintained through the practice of polygamy and by the recruitment of people with similar beliefs such as that Jewish people are the devil's lineal descendants and that only white members of the Christian identity are to be chosen. It came to light that in February of 95, Chevy Kehoe and his father Kirby Kehoe robbed the Arkansas home of William Mueller. So, before the murders, the Kehoes had already robbed the Muellers once before. Oh. Yeah. And I'm sure if the Muellers were aware that it was the Kehoes who the robbers are not, they were controlling articles on it, but all of this stuff started to come to light just how ingrained into the Mueller's how ingrained all of this was into the Mueller's murder well before it happened mm-hmm. just like how pre-planned it was um so Kehoe and his family transported the stolen property that was taken from the Mueller's in 95 uh which included guns gun parts ammunition and gun related merchandise from the Mueller's home in Tilly Arkansas to the Shadows Motel in Spokane Washington and that is where Kehoe met that Lovelace dude, Farron Lovelace, that I mentioned. So in June of 95, Kehoe and Lovelace kidnapped and robbed Malcolm and Jill Friedman, a Jewish couple who owned a store in Colville, Washington, at which Chevy Kehoe was once employed. Kehoe and Lovelace robbed the Friedmans of more than $15,000. Kehoe retained the majority of the money and distributed the remainder to Lovelace and Kirby Kehoe, Chevy's dad. Both uh, Kehoe, when I say Kehoe, I'm, retur- I'm referring to Chevy. Both Kehoe and Lovelace bought real property near a river in Idaho um, and with their proceeds from the kidnapping and robbery. So, fast forward to January 96, the crime we just talked about happening, the murder. And it turns out it's a very small portion of what was actually happening surrounding this organization and web of criminal activity. 
it came to light that Lee murdered Nancy and Bill, but refused to touch Sarah after they both interrogated um, Sarah, the eight-year-old, on the whereabouts of the money. Kirby, or sorry, Chevy Kehoe is actually the one who ultimately took Sarah's life. So Kehoe and Lee, um, uh, Chevy Kehoe and Lee returned to Spokane, Washington after the murders around January 14th, 96, with the property stolen from the Mueller's. So the second round of property stolen from the Mm -hmm. Mueller's. Over the next few months, Kehoe moved about the country frequently. He traveled to his parents' residence in Montana because they had moved. Remember how they had fled? Uh-huh. They moved up to Montana. So he and Shane, Chevy and Shane, uh, then traveled to Arizona and then to Texas. In all of these states, Kehoe, as well as um, other members of his family, sold Mueller's guns and property, which is why we found one in Seattle and another one in Ohio. Uh-huh. Uh, while in Texas, Kehoe confessed that his role in the Mueller's murders to Shane, uh, he confessed the role in his murders to Shane, telling him that he and Lee uh, wore FBI raid jackets and caps when they ambushed the Mueller's. Um, and then he described the manner in which he had he and Lee had killed the family and disposed of their bodies. So now he let someone outside know. And then he expected Shane to keep that secret for uh-huh. him. On February 15th of 97, after um, attending a gun show in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, Kehoe and Shane were stopped by police officers in Wilmington, Ohio. So this was the, the shootout that we saw, okay? The officer asked Kehoe who is driving and to prove identification. After Kehoe refused to do so, the officer asked him to step out of the Suburban um, at which point Kehoe ran from the officer and Shane pulled out the gun. So that's what we saw and what I talked about. Turns out there was a whole nother incident after that. Kehoe ultimately drove away in the confusion that I mentioned. And after leaving Shane to flee on foot, Kehoe drove to an industrial park. Shortly thereafter, another team of police officers found the Suburban. As an officer approached the Suburban, uh, Chevy Kehoe fired approximately 33 rounds at the police officers, um, and although neither officer was injured seriously, a passerby was shot in the arm. Kehoe ended up escaping on foot, and his search for the suburban revealed property belonging to the Mueller's that we had mentioned, the, the, the badge holder and the jackets. So both Kehoe and Shane stole cars to get away from that whole situation, and they drove out west. Kirby met Shane in Wyoming, and Kehoe met his mother Gloria in South Dakota. The family reunited together in Utah. In June of 97 is when Shane finally turned himself in to police. He provided the police with paint samples from the Suburban, which matched the paint stuck to the duct tape um, to bind the Mueller's um, together. Shortly thereafter, Kirby was arrested for gun violations, but was released pending trial. Gloria then contacted the ATF agents in Spokane, stating that she had begun to fear for her life and that she knew too much, which is when she decided to start speaking. So she provided the information that led to the discovery of more of the Mueller's property and storage units rented to the Kehoes, including weapons and a key fitting the handcuffs that Mueller... Bill Mueller was wearing at the time of his death. So, Gloria also told the officers that both Kehoe and Lee had confessed to their roles in the Mueller murders. So, Kehoe, Lee, and Kirby Kehoe were among the APR members indicted on December 12, 1997. Kirby pled guilty to conspiracy, cons- 
sorry, for conspiring to viola- violate RICO and cooperated with authorities. Following a two-month trial, um, Kehoe and Lee, Chevy Kehoe and Lee were uh, convicted on all five counts of the indictment. So their collective crimes uh, was all across a five-state area in total, including multiple murders, kidnappings, firearm violations, robbery, uh, two violent shootouts with the police. Chevy constructed and engaged a pipe bomb in the Spokane, Washington City Hall and using a portion of the loot purchased um, in Idaho property for a training base for their new country that they wanted to assemble. Oh my god. Isn't this absolutely fucking wild? They're so nuts. They're so delusional and just crazy. Isn't this, like, when I told you it was a spider web, like, it is a web. Wow. All right, so let's get into their convictions because it gets weirder. So all five defendants were convicted in state and federal courts. Kirby Kehoe pleaded guilty, received 44 months, about four years in prison. He has since gotten out. Shane Kehoe got sentence of 24 years, was released after 11 years in 2008. Both Kirby and Shane, so father and son, have been in trouble with the law on and off since. They were seen um, in 2011. They were hoarding guns and ammunition in Arizona along with other explosives, which they're not supposed to be having because they're convicted Mm -hmm. felons. Farron Lovelace, that one random dude that happened to be involved in all of this, was also convicted of murder and sentenced to death. He met Chevy while skipping out on parole in 94 and helped him to commit murderers, commit robberies and kidnappings. Lovelace was arrested by the United States Marshal Services in Bonner County in August of 96 on federal firearms violations. While being held in the Bonner County Jail after his arrest, Lovelace disclosed to law enforcement that he had murdered Jeremy Scott, just some random dude that they all knew, approximately a year earlier. He is currently sitting on death row and he's like, okay, death row is supposed to be quick. Like you put down a dog, like you're supposed to kill me. Why aren't you killing me? If you're not going to kill me, don't kill me. Give me life, but don't make me sit here. I don't have an answer for that. Shut up, Siri. So yeah, he's still in death row. Um, and then Chevy Kehoe and Daniel Lee were both convicted of murder. Chevy Kehoe got life in prison. Lee received the death penalty. The reason for the despairing, um, uh, punishments there was Chevy didn't have any priors and Daniel did. And so they thought, yeah, yeah, that's, it's long, but that's why. The family um, of Nancy and her daughter, Sarah, did not want him to be put to death. They felt it dirtied the names of the two girls, and it didn't give them vindication or give the two ladies honor in any way to put Daniel Lee to death. Uh They did not agree with the death penalty. So, the execution date was set for July 13th, 2020, for Daniel Lee, the first of several federal the first of several federal um, executions scheduled after the D.C. Circuit um, Court's ruling. Uh, They went back and forth whether or not they should do the death penalty, whether he should be put to death. Um, The victims' families asked for rescheduling of the date, saying that they were unable to travel to witness the execution because of COVID. This is how recent this is. Uh, because of COVID. But the Seventh uh, Circuit Court ruled that while allowing um, allowing victims' families to attend such events is a standard practice, there are actually no rights or legal rules or basis for their attendance, mm-hmm. and they denied a change in the date. Yeah. 
the victim's family sent an emergency appeal to the to the Supreme Court. So before the Supreme Court could rule, Judge Chuckton ordered a halt to all federal executions on the basis that the process was, quote, very likely to cause extreme pain and needless suffering. Well, the DOJ said, fuck that. Uh, the Department of Justice appealed uh, to both the Court of Appeals and for the D.C. Circuit Court and the Supreme Court, and um, nobody intervened, so the execution was to move forward. So in the early morning of July 14th, 2020, the Supreme Court lifted the hold that Judge Chuckton previously implemented. Sorry, I can't talk. Previously implemented. Uh, so this allowed the DOJ to proceed with the execution. Lee's lawyers said that the execution should not go forward after midnight. Um, so basically, if they wouldn't have stopped it, it would have been like too little too late. You waited too long. Now we can't put him to death. So it was either like a now or never type of thing, basically. Yeah. So um, Lee was executed, like I said, early that morning on July 14th, 2020. His final statement was, I didn't do it. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but I'm not a murderer. You're killing an innocent man. And that he and Kehoe had been in a different part of the country when the crime occurred. He was pronounced dead at 8.07 a.m. after receiving a single dose of pentobarbital. Hmm. And that is Chevy Tahoe and the spider web of Aryan Brotherhood bullshit that I noticed I've been. So he and Israel Keys didn't know each other, or did they? So Chev Chevy, the whole Kehoe family knew the whole Keys' family. Okay. So they lived together in the late 80s, early 90s in Washington. And they were both part of the arc yeah. um, of the Christian Identity Church. Okay. So that's how they so knew they were each childhood other, like from that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Middle school childhood, like middle school, high school childhood friends. So the Keys moved from there over to Washington, over to Maine. And then the um, Kehoe's moved from Washington down to, like, the Arkansas area and to Utah. So the the Keys all stayed together, but the Kehoe's, like, kind of spread mm -hmm. out. Gotcha. Huh. Yep. So they both grew up in the the survivalist lifestyle, guns, and living off-grid. Government is, like not okay, don't believe in the public school system, all mm -hmm. of it. They both grew up the same. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I would, my best educated guess is that they had some generational poverty and mental illness issues. Mm-hmm. Yes, big time. But they didn't believe in medicine, so are they going to get help for their mental health issues? No, you just shotgun a beer, shoot a rifle, and deal with it. Yeah. Is what you do. Yeah. And drink about it. Drink about it and salute the Confederate flag. Mm -hmm. Gross. That's what you do. Yeah. So, yeah, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed um, that deep dive into fucking Chevy Tahoe <laughs> and Cheyenne Keyhole. Keyhole. <laughs> 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 oh, a lot of weird names. A lot of weird names happening. 
uh, if you like what you hear, and hey, if you, this was like the Israel Keys thing was like a heavily requested one that we got from listeners. So if you guys have any ones that you're like, hey, I need you to deep dive into this because I need a comprehensive, like, I need someone to put this all together and tell me how it is, fucking let me know. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, let us know because we would love to do that for you. If you like have heard a case, but you haven't heard it done well, or you want it all put together into like one pretty package message us instagram twitter facebook send us uh an email contact at perfect stranglers if some of you have us on your personal facebooks or instagrams fucking shoot me a message let us know and we'll do it yeah for sure we want to know what you want to hear for the rest of season two tell me what you want what you really really want (laughs) (laughs) and you know what we will talk to you next thursday and next thursday is uh november 4th so that starts turkey season turkey r.i.p spooky season (laughs) (laughs) all right guys talk to you next thursday bye everyone bye